0: In the year 1899, there was a man by the name of uh, Louis Klopsch who decided it would be a really neat thing to take the words of Jesus in the Bible and print them in red so that they would stand out apart from the rest of the Bible and it'd be easier just to see the things that he said. So in the year 1900, That uh, was actually printed for the first time, and we've become rather accustomed to it. We've known of red-letter editions of the Bible of our lives, and they come in handy. They're not perfect. Um, All the quotations don't begin and end at all the right places, but for the most part, um, those are very helpful for us to see what Jesus actually said while he was here on this earth nor do we want to elevate the red letters above um, any of the other words of Jesus. Those are the words of the inspired apostles. Those black letters in your Bible are just as important because they too are inspired by God. They're God-breathed. But I think that it would be helpful, and that's what we're going to do for the next couple more weeks, is to look at some of the statements, the red-letter statements of Jesus that challenge us to a way of life that calls us to a standard of living above the world. Jesus was a man who, well, on one occasion men were sent to arrest him, and they said, they came back empty-handed, and when the, the Pharisees said, well, where is he? They said, never a man spoke like him. We've never heard anyone like him before. They were so impressed, they just let him alone. And when you look and just, it's one line after another of great statements. Uh, sometimes we have some men in our um, American history who have made some rather profound statements, and we have quotes of them. Jesus surpasses all men in terms of quotes. The things that he say transcend the ages. And they called men to a, a way of life, the, a, an ethical system that far supersedes where men would normally live. And so I want us to be called back to those red letters for the next couple of weeks. Last week, we talked about the red letters of Jesus when he said, love your enemy. Man, that's tough to do. But we need to do it. If we're going to say we're disciples of Jesus, we need to understand that discipleship just isn't a one-time act of obedience where we get to claim discipleship. Oh, yeah, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, not only must we love his person, but we must love his words. Mark 8 and verse 38 says that if you um, deny me or if you even reject my words... I will do the same to you we 've got it 's a package deal we can 't say we love Jesus, and, and there are a lot of things to love about Jesus, but we 've got to take some of those other things that he said that are more difficult that are rejected by many and take those as well all right well let 's look at a passage this morning that contains some red letters. And the statement is taken from Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bible, it was just read by Steve, but if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it back up there because we'll be spending the rest of our time there. But the statement that Jesus made that I want to call attention to is this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Folks, I'll tell you, I believe that's challenging. I believe what Jesus is calling us to here is something that maybe we don't practice, or at least if we do it well, we have to work at doing this well. Because mercy isn't as easy as you might think. Mercy oftentimes means that I act in a way that foregoes my rights. And I give up rights and privileges to tend to another person. It's a way of sacrifice. And if you're wrapped up in yourself, you're not going to be a very merciful person. Let me give you a little bit of background to this statement that Jesus made. The background goes. Well, Jesus, if you'll look in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has met and called Matthew a tax collector to become one of his followers, one of his apostles. And Matthew follows. Now, tax collectors, they were, I mean, they were down at the bottom of the totem pole. These guys, IRS agents working for a foreign entity, a foreign occupying force, government, the Romans. And so they had very little use for tax collectors, and for the most part, they had a reputation of being criminals, thieves, and uh, weren't honest men of integrity. And so here's Matthew, a tax collector, and Jesus says, follow me, and he does. And I don't know if it's where it is, but Jesus then has a meal with, well, several tax collectors and sinners And as they're sitting down eating, some Pharisees come along and they see what's happening. They know the character of the people with whom Jesus is eating. And they don't say to Jesus. They go to his disciples and they say, what is the deal? You guys are following him? Why would you follow that guy? He eats with sinners and tax collectors. This isn't a good man. Good men would avoid people like that. You, you're running after the wrong crowd. He's not any kind of man you ought to be with. And so they're trying to to call into question the character of Jesus because of his company. Well, Jesus overheard them. And I don't know if he overheard them from the standpoint that, that these guys were whispering behind his back. And have you ever had that happen? You barely overhear. Something catches your ear and so you listen and then you find out what's being said about you. You know, It may have been one of those deals, but it may have been one of those cases where they're talking loud on purpose so they you will hear. Have you ever wanted to say something to somebody or get them a message, but you didn't want to say it to them directly, so you just say it loud enough in their presence so that they overhear what you have to say? Maybe that's what was taking place but whatever it was jesus overheard them and he said all right listen here and this is where he makes the statement he said those who are well have need no need of a physician but those who are sick and i want you to learn something i want you to go from here and i want you to learn this lesson here's what i want you to learn I want you to learn what it means to desire mercy over sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean um, we reject the teachings of Jesus to be compassionate to people? Does that mean that we throw aside rules and regulations in order to show people that we love them and and are kind to them? What, What does it mean? What did Jesus... What does he mean when he says, I want you to learn something? I want you to learn what it means to seek mercy over sacrifice. Well, I think it means several things, or there are several practical lessons that we can learn from this. I'm going to share three of them with you this morning. And the first lesson that we can learn from this statement, what does it mean? Is that, here's one thing it means. It means that Jesus values things differently than maybe sometimes we do. If I were to put a list together of sins or put a list together of righteous deeds, my list of which, you know, in order of supremacy, which is the worst sin? Can we, can we categorize sins that way? You know, I do know that um, all sin is sin in the respect that uh, if you sin, it's going to cost you your soul, it'll separate you from God But not all sin carries the same weight. Jesus said so. In John chapter 19, Jesus told Pilate, those who have turned me over to you are guilty of the greater sin. Jesus weighed sin. Now, sin is sin in the respect that it will cost you your soul, but some sins are worse than others, so says Jesus. I wonder if my list of sins would be comparable to his list of sins in that order of, a, of, of importance. But on the other hand, I wonder if the things that I think are of a spiritual value, the things that I think we've got to get this, 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 these are the most important things, if my list of important things are his list of important things, I think there may be a disconnect there, something that we ought to give thought to. In fact, I'm pretty sure that there is because I, I've been around long enough to see how we do and the way we think and how we live our lives. And, and I think this lesson that Jesus told those first century Pharisees, I want you to leave here and learn something, learn what it means to desire mercy over sacrifice. That lesson needs to be learned today. Let me give you an example. Turn in your Bible to Hosea chapter 6. I I want you to see this. So turn back there. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, does that help? Joel. Uh, But find Hosea chapter 6. And this passage is probably what Jesus was quoting from as he makes that statement. I desire that you learn this. But I want you to see what he says. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. The prophet said, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Don't miss this. I want this to sink in. Jesus said, or or the prophet Hosea, speaking for God, said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, let me ask you a question. How do we prove we're faithful to God today? I mean, what's the most one of the most obvious signs? The way we think, if I'm going to be faithful to God, and if I'm going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, here's what I've got to do. I've got to go to church. And so if I go to church, that shows that I'm connected to Jesus. I go to church because that shows that I'm one of His. I'm a disciple of His. And so I equate... You know, the one thing i got to get, I can't quit church. I can't skip church. I, I've got to go to church. that That's the connection that I have to Jesus, going to church. Hosea said there's something, well, Hosea, you know, they didn't have church, but they did have the Old Testament worship system. And we, when we gather together in church, we're worshiping God. Hosea says, in terms of priority, it's not when you come together to worship It's when you show mercy. And it's not when you offer your burnt offerings. It's how much you know about me. That's what I value. And folks, here I think we do it opposite. I think we think... As long as I go to church, I'm okay with God and I don't have to spend time through the week. When when do you crack your Bible through the week? When do we study through the week? When do we try to to mull over in our minds Christian principles and teachings so that my knowledge of God grows? Sometimes we're not too concerned about growing and increasing our knowledge of God, but we've never skipped church. We're going to go to church. Both Hosea and Jesus say going to church isn't as, isn't as important as increasing your knowledge of God. Now, don't, get, don't, don't go where I didn't go. He's not minimizing the, the one. He's not saying you don't have to give attention to sacrifice. He's saying that priority ought to be given to mercy. And so there are some things maybe in our life that maybe we've gotten kind of mixed up in in our priorities. Should you go to church? Should you go to worship God? Absolutely. We're commanded to do so. But worshiping God and coming to a building and assembling with saints, that's not on the same par as showing mercy. We need to show mercy and um not just simply uh, and, and to gain knowledge of god there's more to it than just outward action is the point i'm getting just outward doing things going through rituals making your way to a building making your way to an old testament uh worship offering your sacrifices those things he said are not as important as you growing in your knowledge and developing the character that shows mercy to other people. We need to be about that. The values of Jesus are not necessarily the things that we value. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 30, he, he gives us a list of some important things. If you're kind of wondering what is it that Jesus sees as important, he said, well, you know, you all tithe mint, anise, and cumin, but you leave undone the weightier matters of the law. And he tells us what those are, and that should be verse 23 on your outline, Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Those things that are weightier that they have neglected were justice, mercy, and grace. Those are the things, faith, those are the things that he values as weighty. Mercy. It's a weighty matter of the law but we may not view it that way. Well, let's go on to the next thing that we can learn, and that is that our place in life is among the sick. The Essenes in the early years of Christianity had the idea that they could just kind of separate themselves from the world, create their own little communities where outsiders aren't allowed, and we'll just all be good people living together in a good place, And we'll live out our lives for God in that way. Well, that may sound good on the surface, but it really is so short-sighted because Jesus comes preaching this message of the gospel, and he says, you're to be lights to the world. You're to be salt to the world. How can we help the world if we never have contact with the world? How can salt do any good if it stays in a shaker and it isn't sprinkled on that which you're about to consume? It's of no value. Jesus says we have to be salt and light. And he said, I didn't come for the righteous. I I came for the sick. You see, it's the sick who need a physician. And if that's true in the mission of Jesus, is it not true for us today? Who needs us? Those who already have their act together, those who are already saved and and are doing well and have their place with God in heaven, or do those who need us, are they those who don't know how to get where they need to go? They don't know the way. They don't know how. They need help. I tell you, we, we choose, and I mean, I have a preference I would much rather hang around people and be with people that are like me. I would much rather be around people who have faith in Jesus. I would much rather be around people and spend time with people who don't have messy moral lives. It's so much easier the other way. But that shouldn't measure or shouldn't be the the test by which I determine am I going to be with this person or not. Am I going to help them or not? It's hard to be among the sick. Hey, listen, if you've been a caregiver for any length of time, you know how difficult it is. Um, Even when, you know, there are just things that come up and life gets messier and it's hard and it's demanding and, and it takes a lot out of you. And oftentimes, do you not find that when there's a lengthy illness that the caregiver... Their health fails as well because of the, the amount of work uh, that is put into uh, their, their loved one. It's hard being a caregiver. And so from the standpoint, it, it's real easy for me to ignore this principle that he's taught here, to desire mercy, because I'd rather stay with people that don't need the help. I'd rather stay with people that have their act together, and, and they think like I think, and we can just enjoy life together. Jesus calls me to more than that. I want you to learn what it means to desire mercy over sacrifice. I've got to get involved with people who need help, I have to learn mercy. I have to look at people beyond an inconvenience to my life and my schedule. I have to see them for more than just something that makes life messy and keeps me up at night and interferes with my schedule and and causes me to, to lose some sleep. They need to be priorities. Jesus didn't hang around these people just for show. He wanted to help them. And I, I think I've told this here before, and, and it's kind of a silly little illustration, but I think it does illustrate the point. But a number of years ago, I was home. Family was home. My sister was in and her husband and family, and we were home. And so we went to Pittsburgh for dinner one night. And on the way back, all the guys were driving in one van and all the women were in the other van. And on the way back, Michael who was at the time maybe three years old. He was sitting in the back of the van, and he unbuckled a seatbelt and walked up to me, and I was in the middle row of that van. He said, Daddy, I don't feel... And before he could finish how poorly he felt, he showed me how poorly he felt all over me. And, oh, it was a mess. Well, my brother-in-law was driving, and he jerks a car over and gets off on the berm or on the, the shoulder of the road, and there go the women. They just wave at us. They don't they don't care what's going on. They're just going on home. So we were going to have to deal with this. And when we got stopped on the side of the road, here's what happened. My nephews went out the back hatch. They As soon as it stopped, the hatch popped, and they ran out into a field off to the side. My dad and my brother-in-law went and found a garbage bag and they brought it to me, but they brought it to me like this. They, they didn't even want to get close. You know, they wanted to help, but they didn't want to get close. And I guess the reason I tell this is because I'm the hero in the story or something. I don't know. There I was, covered in this, and I'm trying to console my son and say, it's going to be all right. You're, you're going to be okay. And I helped to get him cleaned up and so forth, and, and then we went on home. Well, I think, you know, as, as we were driving home, I thought, that'll preach, you know. You, you see sermons in so many strange things, I guess. But, I mean, that's how we react to people, isn't it? People whose lives are messy. They have sin in their life, and, and it's just made a mess of things. And some of us look at it with disgust. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. That's the way they live? Man, I don't want that person around me. And then there are others who say, well, you know, I hate that for you. And I really do wish you well, but I just don't want to get too close. Do you know how many demands it takes to get involved in the lives of people who have messy lives? What, what, it'll, what kind of an investment in time it'll take and, and energy and thought? And, and there's I t- sin leaves emotional and physical scars in the lives of people. And and as they try to give up that baggage of sin, they've got a long road ahead of them often. We need people who are consumed with being merciful, who will not let the messy lives keep them at arm's distance. Listen, as a church here at Carnes, I want us to be known for the fact that we embrace and love Sinners. I want us to be known for being like Jesus and being among the sick in this world because they need a, a physician, and we, we know one. I know there's a fine line that we need to walk about the company that we keep and how our lives can be influenced by those who aren't living the way they should. I certainly understand that, and we need to be mindful of that. But we cannot just circle the wagons and say it's us and them. We have to develop mercy. Jesus didn't just come for the righteous. He came for the unrighteous. And we need to do the same. And the third point that I want to make from this lesson, this will be the last one, is even the learned have many things still to learn. These Pharisees, they knew the law. They knew their Bibles. They were the separatists. They were the ones who were trying to live holy lives as they understood it. And these men who knew so much, they were the ones that the common folk went to to say, What does the Bible teach about they are the ones who had the answers? But these men who had the answers, it was to them that Jesus said, go and learn this. You still have a thing or two that you need to learn. Go and learn what it means to be merciful or to desire mercy and not sacrifice. There's still things that we need to learn. And I'll tell you, one of them is this, James 1 and verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's easy to know the answers. We can be the go-to people. We can be the ones with all the answers that people come to. And what does the Bible say about this? And we can spout off those answers. But listen, if you know the answers but you're not living in harmony with the teachings of Jesus, of what value is it? It's smug self righteousness. When I see these Pharisees condemning Jesus for reaching out to those who needed him the most, and they sit back and say, What in the world's he doing? He's eating with sinners. What kind of a man is this? Man, does that not strike you with, with smugness, self righteousness? What what, what does it mean when we have the answers to the questions that people are asking? And we can rattle off book, chapter, and verse to them, but we see people, we see sinners as an inconvenience and just a messy thing we don't want to get too involved in. We keep them at arm's distance. Jesus, I believe, gave a very challenging statement When he said, learn what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's not a contrast from the standpoint of do this as opposed to this. It's like Jesus when he said in Matthew chapter 6, lay not up for yourself treasure on earth, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. He's not saying it's wrong to have a bank account, but he's talking about the emphasis Our emphasis shouldn't be on the money that we lay up for ourselves here, but it should be on the treasures we lay up for ourselves in heaven. And that's what he's saying here. He's not saying the things about worship, they're not important. Of course they are. But he's saying, in my way of thinking, I desire mercy more than the external rituals. Folks, if you're not yet a child of God, I want you to understand how much God loves you. Jesus came to this world. He died for you. He showed to us how much he loved sinners. He didn't keep sinners at arm's length. He met with them and ate with them and talked and encouraged and lifted them up. We need to be like Jesus. And i tell you, if you haven't, Yet come to know Jesus. He's your friend. He asks you to repent of your sins. He doesn't want to leave you in that sinful state. The purpose of His getting to know you and and building a relationship is to bring you from where you are to where you could be. If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ, but you desire Jesus as your friend, turn from your sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins, and He'll keep His promise. He'll forgive you if you're a child of God already, but you, well, you've been wearing the title of disciple, but truth be told, you haven't really shown all that much mercy to those who need it. You've not really reached out, or at least you've kept at arm's length, those who are different and who are still in sin. Jesus calls us to something more than that. I, like you, love the people of God. They're my preference for company. I can't let that keep me from fulfilling my mission in life, which is replicating the mission of Jesus and saving the lost. People need the light that we have. And if you haven't been shining forth that light, or if you have, as the story says, or the song says, if you've been hiding it under a bushel, make a resolution today that that that's going to stop. We need to we need to major in mercy. And that means I get my hands dirty and I get with people who are sick, sin sick and who need a physician. We know one. And let's be about that task. If you're here this morning, you need to respond to the invitation. We invite you to come to the front as we stand together and sing.